Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of the Hardwood Huddle. My name is Randy Zellia, along with the Supreme Leader, the one and only, Bill Ingram. Bill, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing okay. We have a special guest today, my friend. We do. One of the guys we've been talking about having on for a while, a guy that doesn't get talked enough about in the uh, when we talk about the great players of all time. Uh, the human highlight reel, Dominique Wilkins. Dominique, hey, Randy, Zelia, Bill Ingram, it's, it's, it's good to have you on. Thanks for giving us a few minutes on this Monday as we're trying to get things back to some normalcy across the country, including bringing the NBA back. Right. How have you been doing through this whole entire uh, pandemic, and how have you been able to you know, handle everything down in, uh, down in Atlanta? Well, you know, it's, it's been a strange year. It's been a tough year, you know, it's, I know I, uh, it started back, you know, early in the year when, you know, when Kobe and Brian passed and it's like everything went downhill from there, you know. And, it really did. You know, we're holding up the, you know, we're holding up the best we can, you know. We're just trying to find things to do, you know, as a family. That's to keep us motivated, to, to keep some type of sanity. Um, it's, it's a tough times we're living in right now. We just got to weather the storm to get through it. Well, oh, you, you know, and I talked about this in the in the past, but uh, it's been a little while uh, since we were face-to-face. Your team, it seems like in different eras, there are incredible teams that don't make it to the finals or don't win championships because there was one team or one player that was just ridiculous. <laughs> and I, in the Western Conference, we had Stockton and Malone, who kept running into either Olajuwon or Jordan. And in the Eastern Conference, your team – uh, the Atlanta Hawks had an incredible uh, deep roster for many years, but right. kept running into the same kind of problem. And I think if it wasn't for Jordan and the Bulls, the Atlanta Hawks of the 90s would be one of the teams everybody talks about. Well, actually, it was more than the, than the Bulls. You know, you had Detroit. You had the Boston Celtics. You had the Philadelphia 76ers. You had the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, the New York Knicks. I mean, they were, the East was loaded with, with talent and great teams. 
And so, man, you had to fight every night, you know, to sustain some level of, of, of positioning in the league because, you know, if you took a night off or two nights off, man, you could easily drop from four to six or seven in, in the East. So, you know, you had to fight every night. Why do you think that has changed? Because now the East, for quite a while, the East has sort of been a one or two team race and or maybe three but once you get out of the home court advantage range, it seems like there's going to be two or three teams make the playoffs in the East that really aren't playoff teams in the way in the well, old you know, way. The, the, the game has just changed. Things have changed. You know, the way suppose they played in the day and we play now, I mean, it was a lot of rivalries back then. And it, it, was, it was such a pride level that we played within a sense of urgency. And we took no nights off. You know, guys played hard every night. They came, you know, with you know with the, with their best game, or they tried to every night. So it's again, you wanted to make if you were fighting for the playoffs, man. You wanted to make sure that you stayed ready to go and, and gave yourself a chance to compete. You know, at the top four or five teams. We were talking Dominic with Larry Bowie. Brown about that last week. Sorry, you're next, Randy. Sorry. <laughs> we were talking with Larry Brown about that next week, last week, and he said the biggest uh, thing that he's seen in terms of what's changed since he was coaching to now is this mentality that you've got to give guys a lot of nights off to keep them fresh for the playoffs, which is something we I, didn't can't, believe in that. I can't even imagine, like, the Kim Olajuwon going, hey, I need a couple nights off. <laughs> you know what? You know, the thing is that we police ourselves. And guys, you know, went to guys, you know, it's going to be a tough night for you, man. Just give a couple of minutes. Give us what you can give us, you know, but we need you. And so, you know, we, I, me personally, I, I never took nights off. The coach had to pull me out of the games uh, or keep me from playing. I mean, because I felt like I let the team down. I let myself down. I let the organization down. So I didn't take nights off. We did. None of us did, you know. And we play. I, hey, I played with a 103-degree temperature and a sprung ankle and two <laughs> dislocated fingers, you know. But I, I didn't think once about not playing. You know, Dominic, you just said that, and it was, there was a key point in there about letting the organization down. Do you think that the players today have the same mindset of, hey, look, it's team and organization and, you know, 15 guys on the roster backing each other up, or is it the – Got to make sure I get my shoe deal. Got to make sure it's got to get my my points. Where, you know, where, where it's definitely more branding. It's definitely more branding individually. Um, it, it, does that have that same mentality? No. I mean, things have changed. It's a different era, different time, different way of thinking, and you know, just that's the way it is, and and it, and it happens through time that um, things change. But you know, it was a pride and level that. We all had, and uh, you know, I could have went and played with other teams, do my career, but I wanted to win for Atlanta. And at the end of the day, I have no regrets. If I had the chance to do it all over again, I would do the same thing. Can it's funny, you imagine? I have a question for you about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. I want you to get your time, Randy. But at the same time, can you imagine, like? John Stockton saying, hey, I'm going to go play with Michael Jordan next year. Or like Patrick Ewing saying, I'm going to go play with the Keems. 
or I just I grew that would up never happen. In, I grew up in Houston watching the era where where you were in your prime and and uh, Akeem was leading the Rockets and and the rivalries as you talked about earlier were so I mean you looked at the schedule and you couldn't wait to see oh man Akeem and and it's going to be Stockton and Malone or it's going to be David Robinson or it's going to be Patrick Ewing or Mark Eaton you know whatever it was. Um, and now it's almost like half the time that the game comes where there's a marquee matchup and maybe Kawhi Leonard's taking the, the night off for whatever that reason is, or there's sort of a, there's kind of a letdown. It, almost like the those rivalries that you talked about that I loved, that I think made the NBA, I think the bird magic rivalry is what put the NBA on the, on the national landscape. But when those rivalry games come and the players who are the rivals don't seem to take the game that seriously, I think that has weakened the game, at least for hardcore uh, fans and analysts. I think it kind of is a letdown when those games come and that marquee matchup is not, doesn't play out like you're expecting it to. Well, first of all, I have to tell you, you know, I, first of all, I love Kawhi Leonard and the way he plays the game and coaches the game. And for whatever reason, he has to take nights off. And, um, you know, that's the thing that, you know, he has reasons for that. And But I would tell you that, you know, just from a personal standpoint, is that I tried to play no matter what, you know, if I was hurt, if I was sick. I mean, I, I just tried to play. But the other side of that, too, is that we didn't really want to play with each other because, only way you can measure your greatness is you got to play against the greatest. And that's what all of us believe. That was, that's the way we approach the game. That was our mentality. I wanted to know if how I stacked up with Dr. J and Larry Bird and Bernard King, English Dantley, to go down the go down the line of great, great, great small forwards. We wanted to know who's, who's the greatest players. And so we, we took, it personal and played against one another, and we played at 100 miles. I played the game at one speed, and I was all out. That's the only way I knew how to play. Yep. And and it, 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 for me, it was about attacking you all the time, you know, to get you off balance. Because I always felt if I can get a foul or two on a great player early in the game, I create a major advantage for myself. But if I'm out there just shooting from the perimeter all the time, I'm not putting pressure on them like I need to. So it was always – a method to our madness, believe me, because they thought the same thing when they played against me. It was a different yeah, game. I mean, how, you, you know, you, obviously, you're 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 doing you're doing commentary now uh, for the Hawks. What have you seen as far as, as you know, we keep on saying the game has changed? The game has changed. Even the game from ten years ago. What are some of the major changes that you've seen? Well, I think that just we just talked about the mentality and the uh, commitment to the game. I mean, has changed. Of course, but like I say, everything changes. But quality, of course, of the game, not, you know, the way way we play. So you had for the hybrid game, guys play multiple positions, and you know, back when I played, you know, small forward, small forward, power forward, power forward, and you didn't want to play. <laughs> If you were the small forward, you didn't want to play against the power forward because the power forward had license to kick your butt. So you didn't, you didn't want to fight with those guys. And so, you know, it, it just changed from that. It just, you know, guys can play multiple positions. There's no way that a, a a point guard or a shooting guard 
was going to switch off and guard me. I mean, I would I would welcome that if, if that ever happened. But now you see a lot of switching, but you didn't see that type of switching uh, defensively when we played. So you have the story career in Atlanta where, you know, all-star multiple times, slam dunk champion, should have been the champion in Chicago, but <clears throat> because it was in Chicago, I think there were some Jordan colored glasses uh, in that particular dunk contest. But I had the opportunity to go to go to Panathinaikos in Greece and see the stadium. And that's where you won your championship. What did you think about playing in Greece? I, when I was there, I found it very difficult to leave Greece because it, it was. I just was blown away by it the was. country. <laughs> it was. It was, man. You know what? At, at the end of my career, you know, it was the offer I couldn't refuse, and I said, you know what? I didn't look. I want to do something different, just to see what, just to see what it's like. And man, I'm gonna tell you, that was a great experience. I mean, the most fanatical fans in the world. I mean, <laughs> when I tell you, we had tens of thousands of people at the airport when we won that championship. It, I, 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 I mean, it must have been seventy-five thousand people at that airport. I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, it was a great time. The food was great. The people treated me like a king over there. It was, I had a wonderful time, man. And, you know, the winner, of course, it's not an NBA championship, but it was one of the most fun times I've had in basketball, you know, winning that, that European title and, you know, in my home um, country of Paris, France. It was great. Did you see How at we- that time, that was that was before the NBA became so – uh, diversified, and I think the Spurs were kind of the the spearhead of that because they they and the Sacramento Kings spent a great deal of time scouting and and looking at the European game. But at that time, did you mm-hmm. would you have thought there were so many great players over in the European league that you would see so many of them playing in the NBA now, some twenty years later? You, you know, I I knew. But when I played with that, you were going to see a lot of those Europeans in the NBA because I played against some pretty, pretty serious players over there, you know, and, I, and some of those guys were NBA material then, and so I knew the trend would change, you know, in a matter of time. It was just a matter of time before you saw more European players come to the NBA, where well, they had some hell of a talent over there, you know. In Greece, man, it's a very competitive league. You had very skilled players, so. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see the explosion of European players come to the NBA. Dominic, can you talk about what it was like for you towards the end of your NBA career? Uh, obviously, you spent time with the Clippers, you were with the Spurs, you were with the Celtics. You know, you being such a fixture in Atlanta was a little weird to put on like a Celtics uniform. I know the time with the Spurs was a, was a weird time as well. Can you talk about those last couple of years in the league uh, what it was like right. for you from your perspective? Well, first of all, it was weird as hell in that Celtics uniform because we competed so hard against them and others. So it was weird, very weird to wear the striped socks, green socks. I'm like, oh, man, what am I doing? But <laughs> it, it was a difficult time, you know, because when I got traded to the Clippers, man, that was like going from the penthouse to the outhouse. <laughs> at that time, you know, because that that organization at that time was in disarray, you know, and so it, it, it was tough. And I felt like, you know, I, I didn't love basketball 
at the level I once did. I was just basically buying time, you know. And so I played, and like I said, there in, you know, and I just, you know, I got offered a contract to come back to play with the Clippers. I just didn't want to play there. And, you know, and towards the end, the end, I just wanted to play, you know, one more year with my brother down in Orlando. So I did that. So I knew after that that I was going to pretty much walk away from it. Even though I, you know, I could still play two or three more years if I wanted to, I just didn't have that same love because the game has started to change. It was more about, you know, holding guys' hands, you know, baby and pacifying the young guys coming in. So it was more about, you know, trying to nurture them than trying to win. Couldn't handle that. It's been a while since the Hawks were in the discussion for being a great team. But when you sit and and you get to sit and watch uh, Trey Young play, what do you think about the franchise, you know, is is he the next franchise player that he appears to be for those of us that are watching from the sidelines? I'm going to tell you, we're coming. We're coming. This team is really growing. We're really starting to understand how to play. And Trey Young and John Collins and guys like Kevin Hurd, those guys, and now Cam Reddish and Hunter, those guys are the future of this franchise. There's no question about it, man. And uh, this team is going to shock a lot of people in the very near future here. I mean, because, you know, the thing is that you get guys to play together and they start to build that chemistry, know how each other uh, likes to play. You can't do nothing but get better as a team. And I can tell you, our, ton- our owner, Tony Ressler, wants to win. He wants to win. You know, hopefully have a chance to compete for a championship and bring back Atlanta. And that's what we all want. And But I see this team really growing. I've been around Trey Young and John for the last couple of years. Wonderful kids. You know, really loves to play the game, and Trey is a young star in the making. I don't think I have to. And I've I've covered the league, you know, with with the Mavericks for years, and watching Dirk Dirk Nowitzki's career, he had every year, it seemed like a totally different cast around him, especially after they won the championship. And Mm -hmm. now we've seen them change that mentality where Mark is no longer mm-hmm. just trying to go out and grab free agents every year. He's actually putting, drafting good guys, putting them around, and, of course, Luka Doncic, the linchpin. But is that, you know, that's the challenge, I think. Player, teams don't want to wait. They don't want to have the patience to let young players develop and develop together and become good over a four- or five-season period of time. It seems like I, I think that many long. teams are looking long. You're talking about four, five, six years, you know, for, you know, a team to develop, it's too, in my opinion, it's too long. You know, if you got two, three-year wait when you're trying to build a team and build a chemistry to try to win, now you start to put young veteran pieces around those teams to have a chance to compete on the very highest level. You know, I mean, if you had teams like Philly, for example, I'm just using my example, I mean, they went, what, six, almost seven years before they turned it around and started winning. That's a long time to have your fans sitting, hoping and wishing that things change. That's a long time. But, you know, Dominique, you say that, though, and I feel like cause we, you know, Bill and I were talking about this about with Larry Brown and a couple other people. We're now in a league where when you're drafting, because these kids are so young coming out after one year, that, that, you know, you're if you're an NBA coach, you're not only coaching to try and win a championship and keep your job, but now you're trying to educate these kids coming out of college or coming into the league where years ago 
because the last senior that was taken uh, in the NBA drafts was was at the, in the top five was back in 2006. So is that fair to the coach to have to try and educate these young kids while they're trying to tr- develop a team and coach a champion, coach for a championship? You know, you know what? Yeah, and saying and saying it's a long time, you know, four, five, six years, and it's definitely a long time for the things to change around. But on the other hand, they are coming in so young. They are coming in so young. So, and that's why, you know, a team like Philly, when you have all those young draft picks, it took that long for them to understand how to win, how to play together. I mean, these guys, are, a lot of them are babies coming out. You know, they're coming out one year out of college. You know, I, I went three years of college, man, and I wanted to stay for a senior year, you know, because, you know, coming in the NBA at that time, you're coming in against grown men. And they didn't give you three, four, five years to develop. You had to come in and be and, and make a statement. You had to come in and be an impact. You know, when we came in the league as, you know, the top three or four or five picks, it wasn't the guys who were sitting on the sidelines, you know, just learning. We were learning as we had a chance to play on the floor. And I think that's, that was great because as rookies, you have to make your mistakes. You got to let guys make their mistakes, and hopefully they can learn from those mistakes. So and the, the, that was the coach's mentality back then. But the, the coaches are in a very tough position when you got so many young guys come in, you know, you don't have a ton of time to develop them to the point where you know you feel secure that you're going to be around a long time. And then so, so all the stars have to align, you know, and you have to draft right. And I thought, I, and just for us, for example, I thought, I think we've done a super job of drafting the right type of player. Is this perhaps why we see some of the teams that haven't been good for prolonged periods of time, you you get a top, you know, a lottery pick, it's a, even a top three or four pick. And a lot of times, many years, more years than not, I think now, you're drafting a player h- hoping that maybe two years down the line, when he would have still been in college, maybe he's going to turn into something and you just don't know. Well, you know, for, for very few guys come in with that it, it factor. It's so young. You know, I thought Trey Young, and prime example, young guy coming in when he had out of college, and he exploded onto the NBA scene his first year. You know, but that was a guy who was NBA ready, and so it's not a lot of guys who can come in with that. And so is Luka Doncic. They came in NBA yeah. ready, and so that's why they stood out more than the others because they were NBA players. You know, from day one. So what's the piece, like, when you watch the Hawks, you know, and you talked about, like, it's maybe the right veteran piece, or what? what's the piece that takes Atlanta to the next level, do you think? Well, you know, I think Travis Blink, uh, you know, IGM, has, has done a, a nice job, wonderful job of putting the right pieces together, and he's continued to make sure he put the right pieces together for us to be one of the most competitive teams. So, as again, it, it, it's having – patient enough to put the right piece together, not being too hasty and, you know, just drafting, just for the sake of drafting, but drafting for what you really need to help win. And I think he's, he's done a nice job, very nice job of doing that. Dominic, last one for me. What effect has Vince Carter had on this young locker room? 
being he's been in the league for so many years and you know, finishing up this past year, what kind of effect has he had uh, in this locker room? And what, and what was his general feeling of you know, finishing his career in Atlanta, knowing you know he's been in the league for close to 20 years? But Vince has been wonderful. Vince is a one, forget about him as a basketball player. He's a wonderful guy, and been a friend of Vince for uh, quite a while now. And the impact he's had on our young guys has been tremendous. You know, a guy with his background is definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. You know, no question about it. Um, but they really respected him, and he brought a calmness. He brought a professionalism to the organization. You know, as a guy who was still playing that, you know, you don't get a chance to see. The guy's played 22 seasons. I mean, he brings a lot of credibility. <laughs> and last one for me, I'm really interested in the transition from player to analyst, you know, um, from the aspect of even for me, I, and I didn't obviously play in the NBA, but I played a heck of a lot of basketball. And being courtside mm-hmm. is – sometimes it's hard for me not to just want to get the ball, <laughs> like to have that. Hey, but for kids that me, want to like, do it's that. that. Hey, it's like that way with me. Trust me, it is. <laughs> you know, a lot of times <laughs> I want to walk out there and, you know, but the, your body tells you one thing, your mind tells you something else. <laughs> so, but, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I train, you know, I, I kind of prepared, I prepared myself probably, three years before I retired because, Hey, you know, I've said to myself and I said to a lot of young guys, you can't do this forever. You can't play forever. So you have to find something to give you the same type of satisfaction for longer length of time. Maybe on, not on the level that you once felt it, but, or or, or been a part of your life, but you got to find something that's a passion and, you know, being in corporate, you know, front office and analyst, um, Work was something that was um, very appealing to me and something that I prepared for and, and prepared me for other business opportunities. So it's how you prepare early on that dictates what your outcome is going to be in the future. So do you have some advice for young kids that are saying, hey, man, I'd love to be on the sidelines doing TV analysts, radio analysts, um, just, you know, because they love the game so much? Uh, the first thing I would tell them, you got to become a very personable person. You have to have the right attitude, um, and it, 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 you got to and you got to really educate yourself on what you're really passionate about. But when you talk about analyst work, it's all about just knowing the what, wins, and why things happen, you know, in, in our business. So it's just how you prepare yourself before your career is over. Don't try to do it afterwards. You know, you got to find out what what those things that really brings you. Um, peace and passion and things that you respect. So, but you have to become a a people's person in this business because that's what it's about. Absolutely, Dominique. I we appreciate well, you taking you. a few minutes with us, and uh, you know we really appreciate it. And we'll hopefully when the season gets rolling, we can uh, have you back on again soon. Okay, guys, you have a good one. Thanks so much, Thank Dominique. You. The great Dominique Wilkins joining us here on the Hardwood Huddle. Bill, I felt like we could have taken, you know, more time with him, but at the same time we were only allotted a certain amount of time with him, so I didn't want to try and push our luck too much. But a lot, there was a lot, yeah. of, uh, just a lot of stuff a lot of stuff there you can take down, and he's very old school, and that's one of the reasons why I like him. 
He's very old school. I think yeah. he wanted to do more with us. I think, <laughs> I think he was like surprised. Well, that, or like, that oh, mentality, yeah, okay. the, the thing that makes the modern NBA, for me, hard hard to watch, not that there aren't great people in the game. I've, I've loved getting to know, you know, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and and uh, I would like to spend some more time with Hunter DeQuampo. Being in the East, you don't see those teams very much in the West, but there are great people in the league now. But the game as a whole is missing, and we've talked about it on this show. We've talked about it with many of our guests, and Dominique said the same thing. We are missing the rivalries. We are missing where Kevin Durant wants to beat LeBron. He doesn't want to go – he doesn't want to do it with Steph Curry. He, you know, LeBron wants to take the Cleveland Cavaliers to a dynasty of championships, not go spend a year there and then go win in Miami and then try to win with the Lakers. I think this, this whole change of mentality, if I pointed to one thing that has weakened the NBA, that's number one. And number two, the other thing we talked about – is the rest factor that all of a sudden these incredible, amazing athletes can't do what athletes were doing as a matter of routine 20 years ago. I, I, it just makes it, you know, when you circle the game on your calendar and then a couple of the stars decide they're not going to play that night for, and they're not injured, they're just load management, I just, it, it's devastating to the quality of the game in my opinion. And it's funny you say that too, with you know, especially with LeBron. You know, going from Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland to the Lakers. Do you think that sort of, I don't want to say hurt his legacy, but for the fact he was so committed to Cleveland when he came back from Miami, and he says, "Okay, I won my championship here. Now let's go move on somewhere else," and then come out and say, you know, after Kobe, you know, Laker Nation. This is something that, you know he loves being a part of it and being around there. And like, and do you? Do you lose anything with LeBron a little bit with with that with his, with the way his mentality is? Yeah, I I absolutely do. I've never been a fan of his. Granted, when he first came in the league, he was just a he was an asshole. I mean, just the most self-centered, egotistical jerk you could ever be around. So I didn't have a lot of use for him from the times I spoke to him. Uh, and then I just started avoiding talking to him because I just I just ugh, you know there were better people to talk to. But that legacy aspect, you know what Dominique said about when he was pulling on the green striped sock and he just thought, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, that he was so strongly identified as a Hawk and that team was so strongly identified as a rival of the Celtics that it hurts to put on the, granted they're paying you, you know, but it hurt, you know, for, for that era of player, um, I, I got to tell you, as much as Olajuwon will always be my favorite player, that last year where he went and played for the Raptors was, I mean, I hated it. The few, and he didn't play that many games because he got hurt right away. But Carol Dawson once told me, um, the last when Carol Dawson was retiring as general manager of the Rockets, he, I sat down with him in his office and he loaded my tape recorder. I think it was actually a tape at the time. Um, loaded me up with all kinds of stuff. The Drexler trade, uh, the the fact that they almost traded for him when they had Ralph Sampson, you know, all these great stories. But one of them was this aspect of um, trying to talk Olajuwon out of leaving. Like, they knew he couldn't play. His back, he had a really bad back 
uh, injury, and he either needed surgery or he had to quit playing. Well, he didn't want to do the surgery. It was a long recovery. He was in his you know late 30s. It would have been a tough recovery. Maybe he probably couldn't have come back. Maybe. I don't know. He's determined. But he chose instead to – the Raptors offered him money. Hey, we'll sign you. They just wanted the name. And Carol Dawson sat him down and said, look, please – retire here we'll throw you the parade all the you know everything but just you know you're finished you know you're finished retire and then the raptors offered him a whole bunch of money what we saw yeah, in toronto was not was not a king it was not a king yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but but also like i you have to look at that about their mentality as well that mentality of hey you know i you, you especially from a team and and, and I guess I'm going to throw Scotty and, and some of these other guys um, who you know played with the Bulls for so long, like B.J. Armstrong. Mm-hmm. You can either have that, you know, someone's going to – you can walk away from that legacy and knowing that I love, love to hear the top dog and everybody loves me, but there's always that piece that always people always say, oh, I, I, I still feel I have – you know, it's like the old gunslinger going out one for one. You know, the old, the old boxer wanted going out for one more round, like Rocky Balboa. Yeah. You're sure that you can go out yeah. there and fight him for one more round? You, you offer get offered that money. You get offered that money, and it's hard, sometimes it's just hard to say no. And you know, like, look, you, like, remember you just said you couldn't imagine Elijah on in that Raptors uniform and just we're watching it going, this isn't right. For for Nets fans, we had so many that so many of that so often, but. You look at a guy like, um, you know, you look at a guy like Jason Kidd, who came over from Phoenix and he had such a great career here in New Jersey. And when you saw him in Dallas again in, in those Dallas colors, you're like, oh, it just doesn't look right. You look at Kenyon Martin in those Denver Nuggets <laughs> colors, it just didn't look yeah. right. You know, it was just so, it was just so weird. But those guys were still at the peak of their career. You look at Michael Jordan wearing a Washington Wizards jersey. You're sitting there going, oh, yeah, that doesn't really look terrible. Good. Terrible. Yeah, and. <laughs> And, and the funny thing is, Michael, what we saw from the last dance, which I know you still have to catch up with it, but from what you saw from the last dance, from that time frame where he was in Washington, he couldn't get away with being that Michael Jordan that he was in Chicago, the tyrant who's demanding on winning. You know, you Michael, Michael, if Michael was going into that Wizards organ, that Wizards uniform, thinking that he was going to be the jerk to try to push everybody to be better and, and to win, it was such a different generation. People want to be coddled and going back to mommy. Now it's just it was just a different time frame. And that was only four years later. So, yeah, it, so, and that is a testament to the change of, you know, like like Dominique was talking about the this change that has come about in the league where winning is not. I mean, winning used to be life and death. You know, like when when players lost, there was a depression in the visiting locker room. Like, people were in a bad mood. It wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to the trainer's table and uh, what's on the what's on the after the post-game buffet? It, like, none of that was of any consequence because they had lost a game and it was – so I, that, you know, that's why I love talking to the old-school players because these are the guys that I grew up watching and I grew up appreciating that mentality – and that level of intensity and that level of importance. And that's just what we have now is a kinder, gentler NBA where everybody's friends and may, maybe I'll come play with you next year. And 
uh, <laughs> it is not the same. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely a different NBA, and uh, it's very interesting now. Like I think right now, let's take a minute here and talk about what's coming up over the next couple of weeks with the NBA. It's still not one hundred percent sure they're they're going to be back. Yes, David. So right now they're agreeing to terms, but they're offering players the opportunity not to play if they don't feel comfortable. Um, and I think there's a lot of players who are using some of the protesting as an excuse not to want to come back because I think they're enjoying vacation. Um, <laughs> you know, there are some people who are who are who are not safe because of the because of the coronavirus, the coaching situations up there. What's your take from all the news that has been coming out lately? Well, I kind of. I kind of agree with the players who are saying, you know, it's not worth the risk because you're talking about Florida. Um, the games, the proposal that's out there for those who don't know is they would play at Disney wide, wide world of sports in Orlando and Florida, the only state that has more new cases of COVID every day, the only state that has more than Florida is Texas. And, you know, Texas is what four times the size of Florida. Um, so as much as I see, the cases coming out here, I just wonder how, how many people are really going to want to go get in a situation where you're sweating, you know, like one player, if one guy were to have it, you're going to expose the rest of that team and the opposing team and maybe multiple opposing teams. And then you could see a domino effect because you get one guy from Utah that has it. Then pretty soon there's a couple of guys on the Knicks that have it. Then pretty soon there's a couple of guys, you know, and, what is the, what's the upside of that? You know, granted, it'd be great. I, I mean, I'd love to see basketball. I, I'm even like, let me, let me just go to Orlando and see what we need to do to get media access. <laughs> but boy, it's it is a high risk. It, it's a high risk, and I I understand why some of the players are coming out and saying, mm, no, not so much. Yeah, it's such a weird. It's such a weird thing, and by any means, I'm not trying to um, say that people, players just didn't want to play because of the protesting, but they feel very strongly that because of all the social issues that are going on right now, that those should be taking precedent not and not playing basketball. Look, at the end of the day, Bill, I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether it is worth rushing back to the court or, or let everything sort of play out because from what I'm understanding, a lot of states are trying to reopen, and everybody knows that there's going to be spikes in, uh, in the number of viruses because people are home. <laughs> people have been home. Now that people's going to go back out, it's, you know, obviously it just has to be, has to be careful. But my, my opinion to you, is it worth trying to rush getting everybody back together by the finish out this season? I don't think so. And and it's hard to say that because, you know, as, as everybody knows, I'm, I'm one of the biggest basketball fans you'll find around. Um, but I'm not, I part of me just thinks, you know what, this year was a wash. I'm a little concerned about throwing teams back out there and trying to play without training camp. Uh, you know, anyway, I think you should just let this one go and start fresh next year. Hopefully the the virus has uh gotten you know, we've gotten that under control and some of the uh pro all the protesting and all the other issues that are going on, uh, you know, have a chance to play out and let us, when we come back to basketball, come back to it the right way and come back to it the usual way and not try to 
invent some random other way to throw something together. Um, so that's that's kind of what I see is, hey, you know, yes, I'd love to see basketball. I do have 2K. <laughs> I can I can see it on my own TV. And uh, but as for the guys, let them let them stay safe. Don't put them in harm's way. And let's just start fresh next year and do it the right way. I, I agree with you. And then the, the next question, the only other question I have for you is just in general with sports. Like the National Hockey League is trying to come back. The NBA is trying to come back. Major League Baseball, she can't even seem to agree what they should have for dinner, let alone whether they're going to figure out whether they have a baseball season. And the NFL training camps are supposed to start next month. But already a, a large group of players have already been coming back COVID-19 positive. Should the NFL, because there's so many people playing in this league, are they one of those leagues that may should look at a possible delay or even take the year off as well? I think they'll regret it if they come back. Uh, you know, I do. Because what are there, 200 players on a – I don't follow football because it's the same season as the NBA. So long ago I just stopped following it. Also, every team I ever liked left town. So um, <laughs> as a kid it was the Oilers, and in college it was the St. Louis Rams. And every time I got invested in a team – they leave. So, okay. So I, ah, fine. I just give up. But um, there are a lot of players on those teams and that the potential to spread the virus among guys and granted the younger, healthier people don't, aren't the primary, you know, like hardcore victims, the casualties, but they're still getting sick. And why risk that? Why not just wait you know, I think the entire country has – and granted, we're not getting good information. It's not like when we were kids and you had Tom Brokaw would sit there and tell you the news, and that was the news. And no one went, oh, that's not true, you know, because he reported the truth, the facts. The thing you see is one, well, we've got a spin for it, and we are gonna, we're going to tell you this story because that's what you want to hear. And then another channel is going to tell you a different story because that's what different people want to hear. And so you have people walking around not really understanding the severity of the virus. I myself don't understand it. Um, but I will tell you that as uh, the college where I work is discussing options for, for uh, fall classes, and when you're talking about having a bunch of kids in a classroom together, even I am thinking, I don't know. I hate the, I teach online and in-person classes. And I really don't enjoy the online because you don't get that personal interaction. But even with that, I feel like as we start to get back into things, and then you think about NBA locker rooms, and you've got hundreds of reporters. Uh, I think we and, can take it a lot more seriously. And not only that, not only just with the NBA, but hundreds of NFL reporters, including myself included, but also with the NBA – how much media access are they going to try and grant everybody because it's going to be, it's going to be a, you know, what show it is. And, and different, you know, are different teams going to enforce different policies like we're seeing with stores. I mean, here in Texas, everything has been open for a couple of weeks. Uh, all the stores, everything's open. And now the theme parks are open six flags. In fact, I'll be there tomorrow, but, um, Some stores you have to have a mask on, some stores you don't. Then there's a huge spike. I think we had 400 and something new cases yesterday. So now they've made the mask requirements a little stricter where they're enforcing it more. 
you know, I don't know. The, the only way you're really going to knock this thing down is, is to not be out, is to not be around people who have it. And we, as a country, don't seem to be willing to do that because the economy suffers. And I get that. I mean, a lot of people depend on, you know, live paycheck to paycheck and depend on that happening. And you can't bail every, you can't, the government can't just send everybody a paycheck every month. But, you know, there's still the greater good to be considered, which is everybody's sick and potentially thousands and thousands of people dying from this. And, you know, is that really what we want to do? It's a, it's a, I'm glad it's not my call because it's, it's not, it's a lose, lose either way. One way the economy is in the tank and one way a hell of a bunch of people are sick and dying. And I, you know, I'm glad I'm not the one making the call, but I would err on the side of caution. Me too. I definitely would. Uh, for those who want to listen to uh, past episodes of our show, we're on Google, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, uh, all the major podcast uh, networks, uh, so you can hear Bill's lovely voice uh, all the time. And you can listen to past episodes. Um, I actually got a, a comment sent to me by, um, by a very good friend who works for NBA TV and, and for Turner who has listened to our couple of shows. I sent them over the link and he's listened to it. He listened to our Larry Brown episode. He listened to our uh, John Michael episode. And one of the things that he had said to us is he loves the fact that we're not diving too much into the, the, you know, the crazy stuff from today, but we're doing some of the, the oldest stories. He listened to our 1996 NBA draft episode, which was, his favorite one of one of his favorite episodes so far. And I told him I said that was the by the time we got to pick thirteen we were out of time episodes. Uh, yeah. so, so you know, but one of the things that he uh, he said is um, he really enjoyed listening to us because he said it's just not two guys trying to talk about something we don't know anything about. It's two new two knowledgeable guys having a conversation. And if we had had to argue about something, we we had it there. And he, they liked the fact that we're going back and um, discussing it and. He really enjoyed the Larry Brown episode as well. So I encourage everybody who's listened to us for the first time, go back, listen to some of the archives. Uh, we're just going to keep getting uh, some great basketball talk, uh, and we're just going to uh, you know, try and do our best to entertain you. Our job is not to be tying you down with the COVID-19 talk or uh, any of the situations with the protests. That's, uh, if you want to hear about that stuff, that's another show. I think um, our job Lots is to give shows. you a poor... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's lots of other shows. Uh, our job is for, for 45 minutes to an hour is to help you forget about everything else and just to enjoy uh, 45 minutes to an hour of good basketball talk, whether it's going back in history, talking with somebody as, as a guest, uh, with, with, with a guest. You know, we're just here to be, you know, for, for the entertainment value, and that's what we're here for. And um, I think, Bill, you can sort of attest to that as well. Absolutely. And Dominique was high on our list, and that's a great one to uh... – to have out there. I, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with him and his perspective is, uh, you know, I think it's something people need to hear, especially people that maybe either weren't alive during the great era of the NBA uh, that was, or people who have forgotten. Uh, I think it'll be a great, I, I'm proud of it. I, I'm so just thrilled that we had Dominique on. Yeah, I, I didn't want to be the guy to tell him, but you know, the only reason he was here is because Michael wasn't available. No, just kidding. I was going to say, not at all. <laughs> I'd rather talk to Dominique all day. 
Yeah, I know me too. No, I, th- I, th- I know. Like once you watch the last dance, I think you'll see that you don't really want to interview Michael because Michael's not going. It's not that Michael's not going to give you much. It's just his story has been so publicly told, and his perspective. That's it. So, it's, I, I've always liked the story that's not being told, and that's never Michael is never the story that's not being told. Kind of like LeBron, and that's already been done. I like to go somewhere people haven't gone. Mm. I, I have a small list of guys who I'd love to have on the show, and we're uh, going to keep attempting to get them. So uh, for for Bill Ingram, this is my name is Randy Zelia from Back Sports Page. Bill, let everybody know where they can find you. On Twitter, of course, I'm at the Rocket Guy, where I will publish any uh, anything that I write. If I'm writing about the NBA, it happens at BackSportsPage.com. If I'm writing about things not related to the NBA, my personal blog is ishmaelslegacy.com and uh, I stay pretty active on on all those venues (laughs) and of course I'm Randy BSP Twitter Instagram you can find me on Facebook um, and we're trying to just keep building back sports page and guess what Bill we have hardcore uh, hardcore house of hard the hardwood huddle merchandise coming we're gonna have some t-shirts and so you guys guys wanted to just so if you wanted to see Bill model that, you can, once he has them, he'll be able to put them on uh, Facebook and, <laughs> and Twitter. And and then if you guys want one too, let us know. We'll set it up through, for you guys or through the website. All right, Bill, let's take a we'll see if we can get back later in the week. If not next week, new show, new content. We're gonna try and keep pumping as much content as we can. Sounds good, my friend. Always look forward to it. You got it. All right, Bill, thanks very much. We'll talk to you next week.